Good evening, everybody, and welcome to First Baptist Church. My name is Jeff, and I get to serve as the pastor here, and it is so good to see you on this Maundy Thursday. We are so excited. How many of you, this is your very first Passover Seder ever in your life? Wonderful. Well, you are in for a treat. One of the things that you're going to see and get to experience tonight is the reality of what the disciples were doing when they were in the upper room with Jesus. This is the meal from which the Lord's Supper came. And to lead us through this experience, I want to introduce to you my dear friend, Jordan Upton. Jordan serves here at First Baptist Church as our Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach. And when I first started here, he had first started here in directing our broadcast, so we kind of learned how that went together. Then he stepped away for a while and has come back, and Jordan is wonderful. And he is a dear friend, a deep believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. And Jordan is going to teach us and lead us through this experience. And so as we begin, uh, thank you for being here. And let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for everything that this meal symbolizes and all of the great truths of which it reminds us. We thank you for the Exodus, Lord. And we thank you for the story of Passover. And we thank you, Lord, that the Exodus and the Passover was looking forward to an even greater deliverance, the deliverance that we have received by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, tonight we open ourselves to a new experience, but we open ourselves to your Holy Spirit to teach us through your word and by your spirit the depth of your love for us as it has been expressed through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Jordan, lead us, brother. All right. Oh, man. It's so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming here. Um, I'm so excited, guys. It's going to be good. Now, uh, for most satyrs, you know, some of them take four or five hours. I'm hoping we'll be done at three. So, uh, we'll, uh, yeah. Yeah. so uh, as Jeff mentioned, the Passover uh, is a Jewish festival celebrating the exodus from Egypt. So it's when God delivered uh, the Jewish people, uh, the, the Hebrews, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm from slavery in Egypt. So when he did that, even before he'd done that, he gave them a couple rules. He said, now when I do this, you're going to remember it by eating particular foods. We're going to remember this every single year by telling the story of me taking you out by eating particular foods. So here's what he said. In Exodus 12, 8, he said, They shall eat the flesh, that is the flesh of a Passover lamb, that night roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So you've got lamb, you've got unleavened bread and bitter herbs. A little later, he says, You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. So the Jewish people... for thousands of years now, have been eating unleavened bread, uh, bitter herbs, and they had been eating lamb when there was a temple standing. So for thousands of years, they've been doing this rite that God gave them. It's developed over time, and what we now call it is the Passover Seder. So the meal that we're doing here tonight is a Passover Seder. Um, and like Jeff said, the Last Supper was a form of the, the, the Seder. Now, the Seder's kind of changed over time. Uh, it really took shape after, um, after Jesus came to earth and ascended. Um, so sometimes it's a little bit different than it was practiced back then. We'll explore a little bit, that, uh, a little bit of that. Um, but really, it was, it was the same meal. It's this Passover meal of eating, eating the lamb, eating unleavened bread, eating bitter herbs, remembering the Exodus, remembering the salvations that God has given to his people, and looking forward to the future. There are several really big themes associated with Passover. There's slavery and freedom. There's, even getting into that, there's slavery of the body and slavery of the soul. There's the past and the future. All of these things interplay together and are in tension with one another, but lead to deeper truths when you deep uh, dive into them. So we'll be getting into that as we're going along here. Now, I will mention right now what we're doing at Passover Seder is the oldest ongoing religious ritual in the world. Did you all know that? It's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's pretty great. Yeah, so we're doing that. But not only that, the Gospels are one of the oldest, if not the oldest, sources 
about the Seder. So even though the Seder was still forming, it was still you know, taking shape, they're some of the earliest sources we have of Jews sitting down and eating this particular meal with this particular configuration. Now, as we go along, we'll learn more about that. But to me, you know, as a disciple of Jesus, as a, as a Gentile disciple of Jesus, it's really, really cool to hear him talk about how, you know, um, sit down and, you know, have this bread, have this uh, drink. And when you're partaking of it, you're partaking of me, but you're at this table. You're at this Seder table. Um, it's not exclusive just to um, the Jewish people celebrating them being brought out of the Exodus. I, as the Messiah, am saying, Gentiles too, join in this. Like the, the table is open. You can come too and enjoy it with me uh, and with the uh, people of Israel. So exciting. It's pretty great to be included in salvation in that way. So, okay. So uh, we're going to dive into the Seder, or dive into the Seder. Tonight, we'll be digging deep into the Gospels to experience the Passover Seder like Jesus and his disciples did so that we will have ears to hear his words anew. So let's kind of set the scene a little bit. Luke kind of sets things up uh, in Luke 9 by saying, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He had his eyes on Jerusalem. He knew that uh, he was going to be crucified. He knew that he was going to be resurrected and ascend, and it was right that it would happen in Jerusalem. So even though like there's several chapters that go on since he, uh, Luke mentions that, the focus of the narrative is ongoing, looking toward Jerusalem in this march toward Jerusalem. So months pass. We finally do get to Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are there. They arrive, and on Palm Sunday, that is the Sunday before Passover, Thousands of pilgrims are pouring into the city of Jerusalem. By one estimate, there were six million people in Jerusalem for one of the uh, Passovers uh, in that time. It was pretty wild. I, I didn't know that many people could fit there, but there were that many. Um, so, the, and which is really cool too, because there's Jewish tradition that even though that many people came, no one was crowded. The miracles of the time, the miracles of uh, the temple. Uh, the miracles of God being amongst his people were so that no one was crowded. So you have uh, Jesus and all of these thousands of people pouring into the city, and yet there's space. However, that does not mean that there was not tension in this city of Jerusalem. As he went in, he finally did acknowledge that he was the Messiah. He's going in, and he's upon the donkey, and people are like, yes, he's finally saying he's the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. So thousands of people on Palm Sunday were acclaiming him as the Messiah, Matthew 21, 9 says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Many people are looking to him as this potential Messiah. Is this the guy that's going to deliver us from Rome? Is he the one that's going to deliver us from this evil age and deliver us from sin? Sounds pretty great. Yeah, let's do it. That sounds great. Not everyone was excited. The, the temple authorities, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a Messiah. They didn't think that he was going to do that. He would displace them. That's a threat to them. The Romans, they don't want, you know, this people that they're over to have some sort of king that comes in and forces them out. They don't want that. Uh, and, of course, we have Judas Iscariot, who's one of the 12. He's one of the closest disciples of the master. But for some reason, he has it in his heart to betray him. Maybe he lost hope. Maybe he thought he's not the Messiah. Maybe Jesus' cryptic references to his coming death made sense to Judas, and he realized, this guy is going to die. Maybe he's not the Messiah that I thought he was. So during the week, he made a deal with the, uh, the leadership, uh, the Sadducean leadership, where he would deliver Jesus over to them at some point. Now we get to Thursday. Today is Thursday, and it actually lines up nicely uh, this year with the Hebrew calendar, where it does line up the way it lined up during that week. So we are going into Passover the same way that they were going into Passover. So today, Monday, Thursday, in Jerusalem, the city is ready to explode. And then we have the Last Supper. So in Mark 14, uh, it, 12 through 17, it says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, 
where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. So, uh, as I said, thousands of uh, Jewish males and a lot of women would be going to Jerusalem at this time to partake of the Passover. So what that means is they would go, they would have a lamb slaughtered in the temple, bring the lamb home to a home in Jerusalem and eat it. Now, because you had to eat the Passover lamb within the gates of Jerusalem, the families in Jerusalem would let people come in and use their homes. They would eat with them. So it's not really as surprising that Jesus would find a family that would let him do that. But it seems like he knows that this one family, this is the one that he should go to, right? Church tradition tells us that this is John Mark's family. John Mark, the one that gave us the gospel of Mark, which is pretty little, pretty neat. So traditionally, this is the first time that Jesus and the disciples are going to the upper room. And that's where we get into the Last Supper. So tonight we'll be using this book. It's the Master's Table by First Fruits of Zion. This is a Haggadah, which is uh, the book that you use to go through a Seder. We'll be using it uh, for most of what we're doing. We will be skipping around a little bit because tonight we're focusing on the Last Supper and really diving into that experience. So um, I won't hit everything in the booklet, but the booklet is yours to keep. And I would encourage you to take it home and um, read through it. Uh, if you want to replicate this experience and do a Seder in your home, that would be incredible. There, there, you really just can't, you can't overemphasize how much you get out of a Passover Seder um, just talking about the Gospels, talking about Jesus and, and what he's done for us and how the redemption story is set from the beginning. I mean, the, the Exodus was only the beginning. You know, his, his deliverance uh, for us when he died on the cross is building upon that. And when he returns, that's building upon that. This story is moving forward to its, you know, its conclusion. Um, and it's great to be where we are and know where we are on that timeline. Okay, so we're going to flip open to page 10 and begin there. So we're looking at the steps of the Seder. Uh, we will talk about each of these steps as we're going along, and we'll talk about the different uh, elements on the table as we go along. So for now, we're just looking at the uh, leader section at the bottom. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has said several times at this point that he is going to die, and he's going to be lifted up, he's going to be crucified. But it doesn't seem like that is quite sunk in with the disciples. And to, to be fair, he, you know, he does speak sometimes cryptically. He does say things like, you'll eat my, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He can be cryptic. So maybe they were just like, he's not going to die. There's going to be something. I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, it's, it, I just don't quite understand this teaching. Well, it'll, it'll reveal itself with time. So when Jesus comes and he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover, this lamb, uh, with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Disciples must have been like, oh, he just, <laughs> oh, the kingdom of God is coming. If he's not going to eat it again, that means it's got to happen within a year, right? Like that, that makes sense to you guys, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you have this tension building even just right at, right at the beginning of the Seder. Um, and now we'll go on into the first step, which is Kaddish. So, Kaddish, here we go. Okay, so I'm just going to read this top part real quick. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's not going to have the Passover for a year, or he's not going to have the Passover again, and he's not going to drink from the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes? That, that must mean the kingdom's right here, right? That must mean that it's right now, maybe within a couple hours. The disciples must have, I mean, you know, yeah, like Jesus is saying, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, but like, how do you reconcile that? They, they can't have thought, oh, he's going to be gone for 2,000 years. There must have been this just palpable tension as they were going through it, like, oh man, what does that mean? Like, he must be just being cryptic, right? Like, he can't die, right? Okay, at this point, uh, we'll have uh, each of you go ahead and pour grape juice for yourselves, but you don't pour it for yourself. 
the rules tonight are that we are elevated. We're like royalty. Um, so you actually let other people pour grape juice for you. So as you're going along, go ahead and, go ahead and start pouring for each other. Um, just make sure you don't pour it for yourself. We're, uh, we're all like royalty tonight. Um, like the Hebrews uh, in the Exodus, they're no longer slaves. They're on the cusp of being free. Uh, so go ahead and start pouring that. Okay. So as we're doing that, I'm just going to read a little bit. Uh, we thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of your servant David. You have made known to us through your servant Yeshua. Yours is the glory forever. And throughout the booklet, it's going to refer to Jesus as Yeshua. Just know that Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus, so it's interchangeable. Um, at the time when they were speaking, they probably would have been calling him Yeshua, but um, it, is, uh, it is Jesus. Okay. Okay. All right. And it looks like we're, we're doing pretty good, so I'm going to go ahead and say the blessing. So another rule for tonight... I'm going to say the different blessings in English, and when I'm done in English, you're going to see uh, a line that says, participants, amen. So just say amen uh, at the end of the blessings when it says amen. So for example, here we are. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Okay, and we don't drink yet. Uh, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has lovingly given us appointed times for joy and festivals for gladness. You gave us the festival of Matzot, the season of freedom, as a time for holiness and as a remembrance of the exodus from Egypt. Blessed are you, O Lord, who sanctifies Israel and the seasons. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us life, sustained us, and let us arrive at this season. Amen. Okay, now we're going to lean slightly to the left. This is a sign of royalty, and we're going to drink the first cup. Okay. When you've drank the first step, you can go ahead and flip to the next page. So this next step is orkats, which is the first uh, hand-washing ritual. There are two hand-washing rituals, and I'll just be doing it as our leader. Um, when uh, Jesus and the disciples were together, they would have uh, each done it. it uh, see. It's based upon temple practice. Um, based in the, in the Torah, the first five books of Moses. Um, basically, it's, it's a way of elevating yourself in physical purity. Um, when the priests were going in and out of the temple, they were immersing their hands. They were sometimes immersing their whole bodies. Um, and it was just a way of like elevating in uh, physical holiness. Um, and then, yeah, so... Uh, I did that. So we'll go ahead and mosey on into karpos here. Okay, so this step, karpos, is going to involve the parsley on your plates. So we'll get to that in just a second. I'm going to explain what it is first, though. So the karpos is the parsley. It's the little sprig of greenery. Generally, it looks like decoration on plates, but tonight we're eating it. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, tonight we're going to eat it with uh, salt water, which is just traditionally what you eat it with today. But in the time of Jesus, they would have used red wine vinegar. So it would have been a cup of, you know, a reddish liquid that they were dipping something into. So D. Thomas Lancaster uh, develops that idea and shares a little bit more about it. The meaning of this ritual is obscure, but according to some opinions, it represents the betrayal of Joseph, whose brothers dipped his coat in the goat's blood and that event of the betrayal of Joseph initiated the descent into Egypt. So as the Seder tells the story, this is the first event in the story, how the children of Israel ended up in Egypt in the first place. According to some other opinions, the Karpas ritual represents the dipping of the hyssop into the lamb's blood. And when you understand the imagery of the Karpas ritual as representing both the betrayal of Joseph, who was a portent, uh, uh, a picture of the master, and the dipping of the hyssop into the Passover lamb's blood in order to mark the doorposts of the door frames in the houses in Egypt. This adds a lot of depth to the, to the meaning of the ritual because both of those symbols come together in Yeshua's betrayal and sacrificial death. So he alluded to the betrayal of Joseph in Genesis. Um, he's betrayed by his brothers and goes into slavery in Egypt. Um, and we see red wine vinegar and hyssop actually appear at the crucifixion. So in John 19, 29, it says, a jar full of sour wine, that is red wine vinegar, stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. 
So as we uh, partake of this, we're going to remember that betrayal begets exile and the wages of sin is death. And this is the way we start the Seder. So I'm going to say the blessing and then you're going to take the plate on, the, on your table and dip the uh, parsley and you can eat it and pass the plate around. So the blessing is, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the ground. Okay, so go ahead and take the parsley, dip it in salt water, take, a, uh, take your uh, parsley and go, pass it around. Okay, so as we're doing that, I'm going to continue reading here. We're at the top of page 13. When it was evening... He reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Now keep in mind, Judas stays at the table. He's still here. He's still with us during this meal. So we'll keep that in mind as we're going along. Okay, so now we're going into yachatz. I'm going to take my three pieces of matzah here on, on my table, and I'm going to break the middle piece in half. Now, I'll explain this a little bit more when we go along, but this piece will play a big role uh, more later in the, in the Seder. So we'll just continue moving on. Go ahead and flip your page to page 14, and we'll talk about Magid, telling the story of Exodus. Okay. This is the bread of affliction that the Israelites ate in Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are needy come and celebrate Passover. Now we are slaves, but next year, may we be free. Okay, so like I said, the Magid is the telling of the story of the Exodus. So at this point, uh, Jesus and his disciples would have told the story of the Exodus. They would have gone into detail about it. They would have talked about um, all of the miracles that happened there. Um, and really, the, each time you go through the Exodus, it just inspires awe. Um, and if we had time tonight, we really... It'd be great to go through the story of the Exodus, but we're going to take a little bit uh, of a different angle and talk about the Exodus of Jesus. So several chapters uh, back, back at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus uh, took Peter, James, and John and went up on a mountain. And then he appeared in this vision of splendor and glory. And the disciples saw him, but they also saw Elijah and Moses. And Luke 9, 30 through 31 says, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the word departure here is actually exodos, which is also the name of the book of Exodus in Greek. So when it says the word Exodus, his departure, it's evoking this idea of the Exodus from Egypt. But unfortunately, it's not the same kind of Exodus. Um, Jesus was not going to have, uh, in this generation, he was not going to become king and take the, uh, take the Jewish people out from under the yoke of the Romans. Unfortunately, that was not for that generation. Um, there was not the repentance that um, led to that. However, he did have his sacrificial death on the cross to deliver us from sin. So we're taking, we're taking these steps. We're approaching that final exodus, that final redemption, um, when we're taking out of greater Egypt, the, this evil age, this time when, um, we can, when there's sin and death. Um, but we're not quite there yet, and it wasn't time for that in that generation. And so we're actually going to skip several pages here. We're going to go all the way to page 23. Okay. Rabban Gamliel, under whom the Apostle Paul studied, insisted that no Seder is complete unless the following three items are mentioned. So we're going to mention these three items. 
So as we say them, uh, we're going to say the Hebrew words. We're going to say them together. So we're going to say the first one, Pesach, Pesach. Matzah, Matzah. Maror. Maror. Great. And now we're going to talk about them in detail. Yeshua taught that Passover commemorates not only the exodus from Egypt, but also our redemption through his suffering, death, and resurrection. Each of these three elements relates in some way to him. Moseying on over into Pesach, the Passover lamb. When the Israelites were first redeemed from Egypt, they were told to sacrifice a lamb and place its blood on the doorposts of their house. The Lord would see the blood and pass over their homes when he struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. The Bible commanded the Jewish people to commemorate this through an offering every year at this time. They would take a lamb and slaughter it in the traditional manner and apply its blood to the altar. The meat was roasted and served at the Passover Seder in every generation. Today, in the absence of the temple, we cannot offer a Passover lamb sacrifice or eat it at our Seder, but we use a bone to remind us of it, uh, of the Passover offering. So if you look at your plate, we've got the bone on the plate, and that reminds us of the Passover lamb. So in that time, the temple was standing, so uh, Jesus sent John and Peter to go and uh, have the lamb sacrificed, bring the lamb back, and then they ate it together that night. Um, I mean, just imagine it. They were there, they got to eat the Passover lamb, and they had Jesus there leading their Seder. We don't have that. We have Jesus in our hearts. We have him, you know, interceding for us in the heavenly temple. But we don't have him here in in this room. He's not reigning in Jerusalem, uh, you know, where we can go and have a Seder with him. Unfortunately, there's something missing. Now, on the Seder, uh, the, the Jewish people will have the bone, and that represents what's missing, the Passover lamb, we can, and it's missing because there's no standing temple. We can look at that and take a deep meaning from that. We, we're not, we're not there yet. We're still waiting for that final redemption. We're still waiting for when Jesus is here reigning as King. He's teaching his, teaching us his ways and making, you know, uh, uh, pouring out the spirit on all flesh. Um, we want that to be here, but we don't have that. We don't have that yet. We're still waiting for it. And God willing, that'll be this, uh, this year, uh, even the, in these couple days. Um, it may be soon in our days. So we'll go ahead and look at the matzah, which is the next page. So when the Holy One revealed himself to Israel and redeemed them, it happened so quickly that there was not enough time for the dough to, uh, of the Israelites to rise. The Bible commanded the Jewish people to commemorate this every year by removing all leaven from their homes during the seven days of Passover and eating unleavened bread along with the Passover lamb. Okay, so with matzah, there's actually two commandments in there. There's the commandment to cast out all leavened bread. So all, all bread that has fermented enough so that it's beyond a certain point and it's decomposing. It's, uh, it's got decay to it. So you're to cast out all leaven and you're to eat unleavened bread or matzah. So it's two parts. Uh, Paul kind of picks up on this and uh, spins it a different way and adds a spiritual meaning to it. He, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the, ma- the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we're to be a new lump, which is to say we're to be new. We're to cast out the, uh, the old lump, the old, uh, the old us, the sinful us, the sinful ways, the sinful things that we fall into. That's all supposed to be cast out. It's supposed to be ownerless as the dust of the earth. But we're to partake of the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And of course, we know that, um, figuratively speaking, I mean, Jesus says that, you know, that's him. That's his teachings. When we partake of him, when we ingest his teachings, when we drink in his words, and we make them part of our lives and act upon them, we, we, I mean, we're doing what he's figuratively talking about, eating the Messiah. We're ingesting him, and we're different because of it. So all of these things come together in that metaphor there that Paul uses. And now looking at Maror, when the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, they made their lives bitter with suffering in Egypt. 
The Bible commanded the Jewish people to commemorate this each year by eating bitter herbs along with matzah and Passover lamb. So the bitter herbs tonight that we have represented on our plate are the, um, the shavings, it's horseradish root or maror. And then we have romaine lettuce, which is chazeret. So we've got two bitter herbs on our plate. So it doesn't take much imagination to get at the bitter herbs representing the bitterness of slavery. They represent um, death even. Um, unfortunately, we live in a sin-fallen world. We live in a world where it's not perfect, and because of our sin, it's decaying, it's difficult, it's, it's hard. We're all de decaying, dying, because we're in this bitter world. But that doesn't mean that we just have to just take that. God can use anything for the good. He can refine us through this. He can, if we put our faith in him, he'll bring us closer to us and make us more like his son. Uh, Jesus talked about this idea. He, he talked about this idea at one point during the meal in John 15. I am the true vine and the, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may also bear more fruit. Peter also put his own spin on this in 1 Peter 2.19. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's beautiful. Let's go ahead and flip over to page 26. In every generation, a person should see himself as if he had personally gone out from Egypt. As the verse says, you shall tell your son on that day, saying... On account of this, that the Lord did for me, taking me out of Egypt. It was not merely the Jewish people who were redeemed from when Israel went out from Egypt. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Okay, at this point, let's go ahead and fill your neighbor's cup for the second cup. Okay. So, uh, as we're doing that, I'm going to continue reading. For this reason, it is our duty to give thanks, to praise, to acclaim, to glory, to uplift, to honor, to bless, to elevate, and to applaud the one who did all these miracles for our fathers and for us, bringing us out from slavery to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to festivity, from gloom to bright light, from servitude to redemption. And let us offer him a new song, Hallelujah. So at this point during the night, uh, the, Jesus and his disciples would have started saying the Hallel. Hallel is Psalms 113 through 118. So they would have said uh, 113 and 114 at this point, um, which are, uh, th there's a tradition, there's a Jewish tradition that it goes all the way back to the crossing of the Red Sea, that at, at the crossing of the Red Sea, the people extemporaneously praised God and said Psalms 113 through 118. Maybe that's not literally true, but the Hillel is strongly associated with the festivals. So the Jewish people do, would say them as they were going in crowds, ever-growing crowds going toward Jerusalem. They would be singing Psalms 113 through 118. And in fact, when we have uh, Jesus in, in Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, what are they doing? They're singing a part of one of those hymns, uh, one of those uh, psalms to him, acclaiming him as the Messiah. So Hillel is very strongly connected to the, the festivals, particularly Passover. So here, we're going to look over on the second cup on page 27, so you don't have to flip. We're already there. Um, but before we drink, Paul warns us to count the cost of drinking the cup of the Lord. That is uh, a cup here. 1 Corinthians 11, 26 through 29 says, For as often as you, drink, or as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This makes me think of all the times when you have someone touch the Ark of the Covenant and then they die right away. Or you have the, one of the kings of Jerusalem uh, Uzziah, who went into the temple because he wanted to offer praise, but it was improper for him to do so. Struck with leprosy, rest of his life. 
couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. Um, the, there's this holiness to these things, uh, particularly around the temple. And even here, Paul is saying around the cup of the Lord. So it's intense. It, it, we, we really should take it seriously. Um, and yet still here at this point in the Seder, we still have Judas in eating these things. He's still there partaking of this meal. Let us not be like that. Let us look at ourselves, examine ourselves, and set our focus on God and on his, mas- or on his, uh, his Messiah, Jesus. Okay, and here's a blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Okay, and we're going to lean to the left and drink a little bit. Okay, now we're on to the next page, Roxa. So again, this is another hand washing. Uh, This second one specifically is for when you eat bread. Um, Again, there was a movement in the first century, that is the time of Jesus, to bring some of the elements of the temple into the home. So there's, especially with the Pharisees, they were wanting to bring this level of holiness into their homes. Now, it went too far, and they even criticized the disciples for not partaking in some of their traditions. Um, But uh, still, this movement for purity, uh, Jesus picks it up. And I think, I think you can connect it easily to baptism where, you know, it's, uh, it's taking you to another level of purity. It's taking you to another level of, uh, holiness before God. So, okay. So we're looking at, um, mozi here. We thank you, our father for the life and for the knowledge that you have made known to us through your servant, Yeshua. Yours is the glory forever. Just as this piece of bread was scattered over the mountains and gathered together, so may your assembly be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Yeshua forever. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings bread out of the earth. Okay. Let's see. Okay. All right. And here's going to be another blessing. Blessed are you who sanctified Israel and commanded them about eating matzah. Okay. So uh, matzah is the bread of affliction, but it's also the bread of freedom. It's the bread that the Israelites had to bake really quickly and take with them as they were going out of Egypt. So every time that they would eat this bread, this bread that's crackery, it's kind of stiff, it's not got a lot of taste to it, it reminds them of the freedom that they had because God took them out um, of slavery. Likewise, as disciples of Jesus, we have an additional meaning to it when we read it because we know that um, it's the bread of affliction. We know that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Um, He suffered on our behalf, but it's the bread of freedom because we find freedom through his sacrifice. So have all of this in mind. Uh, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So now, each of you at this point, go ahead and uh, take the plate of matzah, and each of you take a piece of matzah and just pass the bowl around. So for tonight, what we're going to do is take a piece of matzah and try to break it into about four pieces, just into quarters. Um, so at this point, we've already said the blessing, so you can uh, eat uh, some of one of the quarters of matzah. Go ahead and lean to the left as you're doing it. Yeah. How are you liking it? Is it particularly tasteful, particularly flavorful? You know, it's interesting because Jesus talks about uh, looking forward to the Passover lamb and he talks about the fruit of the vine. He doesn't really talk about looking forward to the bread so much. It's <laughs> okay. So we're going to move on into maror. So this is the bitter herbs. So what we're going to do here is take the bowl of shredded horseradish. So you're going to take that and you're going to spoon a little bit of it out onto uh, one piece of your matzah. You don't need a lot. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's strong. It's yeah. 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 
So uh, go ahead and do that on one of your pieces of matzah. And I'm going to say the blessing. Blessed are you who sanctified Israel and commanded them about eating bitter herbs. Amen. Amen. Okay. So when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat that piece of matzah with the maror. Um, but don't lean because it's you're partaking of the bitterness. All right. So uh, when you're good with that, how are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next page. So we're looking at Korek. So with this part, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read the text. When the temple was standing, Hillel the elder explained that the meat of the Passover lamb, the matzah, and the bitter herbs should all be combined together to fulfill the commandment, they shall all eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So this part is command, uh, taking it all together and eating it all together. So what you're going to do now is spoon a little bit more of the horseradish onto the part. It's strong, right? <laughs> yeah. You may need to pass around the grape juice a little bit if you need it. Um, yeah. So with this step, now that we've had a little bit of horseradish, maybe not as much this next time, you're getting a little bit more horseradish, but you're also going to spoon a little bit of the apple compote, the uh, haroset onto it as well. You're going to make a little sandwich, a little sandwich with the horseradish and the apple compote. And when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat that sandwich. Just a word on that. In the time of Jesus, they would have been eating the bitter herbs with lamb. So it wouldn't have been the apple stuff. It would have been the lamb. So just, you know, go with the, the imagery for a second. Uh, the, the taste of the lamb would be overpowering the bitterness of the bitter herbs. Um, even before the bitter herbs, even before the bitterness of slavery was there, the redemption was ready. Um, Jesus was ready. And so we're partaking of that now as we're doing that. Okay. And so again, you can go ahead and eat that when you're ready. I'm going to continue reading. Uh, this is Shulchan Orek, which is when the meal would be served at a, at a full Seder. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a bowl or taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Um, and when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, when, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay. Let's go ahead and flip the page. So now we're on page 32. We're looking at the top, Zafun. So it's, it's around this point that we start to get the story of Judas leaving the, the table. Uh, it gets a little hazy because the traditions here have changed. Um, the, they've developed a little bit. So it's a little unclear how the chronology plays out. But um, it's around this time where it happens. So... Um, during a normal Seder, you have the, the afikomen, that piece of matzah that I mentioned earlier. It's been hidden and then uh, brought back out, and then it's eaten as kind of a dessert. It's like the last thing you eat for the meal. Um, at that time, the afikomen was the last piece of lamb, so they'd be eating this morsel uh, together as this delicacy. Um, so it's, it's that that they're eating at this point in John 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I, gave this, I, I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So it's at this point that Simon, or, uh, Judas Iscariot eats it, and then he, he leaves. 
um, he, he leaves the Seder. People are kind of confused. The disciples are a little unclear on what's going on. Uh, they think maybe he's going out to buy things. Um, it's not really clear to them that he's the one that's the betrayer. So even, you know, even when Jesus is saying these things, you know, you've got, you've got tables, you've got people talking, you know, you've got this discussion over here. Oh, who's the greatest disciple? That's me, of course, you know. So <laughs> you got all that going on. It's, it would be confusing. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, later on, they would see that Judas was the betrayer. So here, during this time after the meal, you're going to have the, that debate about the greatest disciple, the prediction of Peter's denial of the master, um, the prediction of the scattering of the disciples like sheep without a shepherd, and all the questions and discussions that are in John uh, there after the supper. With that, we're going to look uh, on that same page at Barak. So this is the part where we give thanks for the meal. Um, so it, it's... Deuteronomy 8.10 says, And when you shall eat and be full, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So God tells the Jewish people, give thanks to me after the meal. Um, so to this day, Jewish people will pray before the meal and then after the meal. It's, if, you can, if you can incorporate that on any level, my, my wife Taylor and I over there, um, and my son Isaac, uh, we, we really try to do that, uh, praying after the meal as well. And it, it just centers your focus on being thankful to God for what you've just taken. Um, not growing fat and lazy, just, you know, thanking him for the goodness of what you've, you've had. Okay. So we're going to say this, or I'm going to say this, uh, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world with goodness, grace, devotion, and compassion. He gives bread to all flesh for his devotion is eternal. Because of his great goodness, we have never lacked, and we shall never lack nourishment forever and ever. For the sake of his great name, for God provides for and nourishes all, who does good to all and prepares nourishment for all of his creatures which he has made. At this point, uh, let's go ahead and start filling up our third cup. So if you want to start passing around the third cup and getting that full, um, we'll start doing that. But I'll continue reading. We thank you, our Holy Father, for your holy name that you have caused to dwell in our hearts and for the knowledge, faithfulness, and eternal life that you have made known to us through your servant Yeshua, yours is the glory forever. Blessed are you, O Lord, who nourishes all. Amen. You, O Lord of legions, created all things for the sake of your name. You gave nourishment and drink for human beings to enjoy in order that they would give thanks to you. You also bestowed upon us spiritual nourishment and drink and eternal life through your servant. And for all things, we thank you because you are powerful. Yours is the glory forever. Remember, O Lord, remember, O Lord, your congregation to rescue her from all evil and to make her complete in your love. O God, our God, let the remembrance of us, of Jerusalem, your holy city, of Messiah, son of David, your servant, and of all your people, the house of Israel, ascend, come, and be seen and accepted before you. Take note of these things and grant preservation, goodness, grace, kindness, compassion, life, and peace on this day of the festival of Matzot. For you, our God, are a gracious and compassionate king. Gather the betrothed from the four winds to your kingdom that you have prepared for her. For yours is the power and the glory forever. May grace come and may this world pass away. Hoshana to the God of David. Everyone who is holy, let him come. Everyone who is not, let him repent. Maranatha, amen. That's a nice little, nice little prayer, right? So that prayer is actually a modified version uh, of a prayer that goes all the way back maybe to the first century church, maybe to the 12 disciples. We don't know that for a fact, but there's a document called the Didache that has this prayer and uh, recommends it for after you've eaten uh, a meal. So it could all the, go all the way back to the 12. And even if it's not, it's very early church prayer. So it's very cool that we have it. Okay, we'll flip over to the third cup on the next page. So this is the cup of blessing. So it's still part of thanking God for the meal. And it's actually, in the Greek, it would be Eucharistio, which is to give thanks. So this is the cup of Eucharist. How about that? How about that? So with that, uh, and Jesus, and likewise Jesus, took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you. Uh, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Just to unpack that for a second, uh, Craig Evans says, rightly so, Jesus has not asked his disciples to eat his body or drink his blood. He has asked them to recognize his messianic mission in the shared bread and the atoning covenantal value of the death in the shared cup, uh, of his death in the shared cup. 
So we've got a couple things here in, in what he said. Just unpack them one at a time. He talks about the blood of the covenant, the blood, his blood of the covenant. He's referring back to Exodus when Moses sprinkled blood on the people as they were accepting the covenant at Sinai. Hebrews 9 puts it this way. For when every commandment of the law had been given by Moses to all, pe- all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop. There's the hyssop again. And sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God made with you. Okay, so similar language there, similar language. And Jesus also mentions the new covenant. Again, reading from Hebrews 9, uh, 915. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred, uh, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Okay, so we've got the uh, atonement in his blood. We've got the sprinkling of his blood uh, figuratively, figuratively, spiritually upon us that seals us in this covenant. So it sounds pretty great, right? He's the mediator of this covenant. He's the high priest in the heavenly temple. Um, that's good. But what, it, what is the new covenant? Like, what does that mean? Actually, you know, this is the first time that we hear the new covenant mentioned in the, in the gospels, in the New Testament. So we have to go back to some of the prophets to hear what the new covenant is, what, what the, this means. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Praise God. That's it's pretty, pretty stout, right? So you, you have the covenant at Sinai where they're sprinkled with the blood and they've said, all that you've said, we will do. We, we accept this Torah. But unfortunately, we're fallen. We're, we're broken. We can't, um, we can't keep uh, all of the commandments perfectly. We, we, we break them. We're, uh, we sin. We, we sin. We need God to take us and reform us so that we don't sin anymore. We need a new covenant where the, the law, the Torah, is written on our hearts. And praise God, Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, and the new covenant, the fullness of it, is coming. We're coming to the time when we no longer sin because we can't, because God's poured out his spirit upon us. We have his law within our hearts. We don't want to sin. We, we know what God wants from us, and we can do it with his help. Praise God. May that be soon and in our days, soon and in our days. So let's see, where is that? <clears throat> Okay, so with that, we will say the blessing here for this third cup, the cup of the, uh, the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And lean and drink. Okay, and we're going to have a quick turnaround. We're going to go ahead and fill up the fourth cup. So if you could take your, your grape juice um, and go ahead and start filling your fourth cup. <laughs> and this is the last cup. So if we're running a little low, this is, uh, uh, this is the last cup. All right. Now, at this point in, in Seder's today, we have the cup of Elijah. So Elijah, as most of us know, is uh, uh, a prophet from the Old, Old Testament. Um, but unlike everyone else, other than one other guy, uh, Enoch, he was taken up to heaven and he never died. He, he's still alive. Elijah is still alive for God's purposes in the future. Um, because of that, Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So there's this idea that develops that, oh, Elijah is going to come before the day of the Lord. He's going to be the one that comes and tells us that the Messiah is coming. God's going to send him as the herald of the Messiah. Well, what do we have? We have Jesus connecting that idea with Elijah or with uh, John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, he, he even says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you were, are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. You, you could say that Elijah came in that generation. It was there. The opportunity was there, but the repentance was not there. Um, John the Baptist and um, his, his message of repentance, and then Jesus with his message of repentance, it didn't take with the people. There wasn't the repentance needed. Um, so Jesus did have to die on the cross. He did have to resurrect and ascend and leave us for this time for 2000 years. 
Um, may he return soon in our days, and may Elijah come and herald it. Um, so uh, with that, they, and, and they didn't actually have, I don't think they did actually had the cup of Elijah at that time, but he, he probably talked about Elijah. He probably talked about how, you know, we shouldn't be looking for Elijah. He was already here. We already had him. We've missed it. We're, we are going to have to suffer and go into this, uh, this exile. Now, uh, moving on into the next section, Hallel, uh, kind of tying, riffing on that where it's, there's, all of these things are supposed to bring us joy, but I think, I think as Jesus was doing them, he was probably feeling a lot of anguish and a lot of pain as he was seeing these things. So at this point, Hallel, the, um, Jesus and his disciples would have finished reading the, the Psalms. So 113 through 118, they would have finished reading all of those. Um, but there's actually a thought, there's actually tradition that in Jerusalem, when the people would say these hymns, these Hallel, they would go up on the rooftops, look at the temple, and sing the hymns toward Jerusalem, or toward the, toward the holy temple. So can you imagine, maybe, you know, maybe the disciples and Jesus went on this rooftop. They hear psalms, all the psalms being sung toward the temple. All these people joyful in this festival, joyful in this time of joy. But he knows that death is coming. He knows that pain is coming. Maybe he was singing along, but he was also feeling that anguish, that pain as he was doing, going through it. It's hard to, hard to think about when you really get into it and think about it. I mean, it, it makes me think about when he's, he's talking about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So around this time, uh, the, the gospels tell us, uh, and when they had sung a, sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this hymn would be the, the Psalms we were talking about, Hallel, Psalms uh, 113 through 118. So sometime after that, they would have been going back out uh, to um, the Mount of Olives. Um, but we also have all of this treasury of, all these sayings of uh, Jesus in, at the end of John that we don't really know what the timeline is. So we're going to share a couple of those here to send us out. Um, let's go ahead and flip over to page 39. So here we're going to say the blessing over the fourth cup and partake of the fourth cup. So page 39. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we're going to lean and partake of the fourth cup. And with that, Jesus partook of the fruit of the vine no more. He hasn't had it since then. Uh, in Matthew 26, 27, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He was still waiting for the kingdom. We're still waiting for the kingdom. And what do I mean by that? I mean the resurrection of the dead. I mean Jesus comes in glory, lightning strikes across the sky. Um, the, the righteous are resurrected. Uh, he, the righteous in the age get to in, inherit this time with Jesus on the throne. The 12, uh, the 12 disciples are on their thrones. It's this idyllic time where the Spirit's poured out on all flesh. We have the law in our hearts and we can't sin. Praise God. May it, it's coming. It's coming. We have this hope. We know it's coming. May it come soon and in our days. As we wait for it, some of Jesus' words from, from the Seder will give us hope as we wait for it. John 16, 21 through 24 says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have, had, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be full. Before he left, before he left for Gethsemane, before he went and accomplished what was accomplished on the cross, was resurrected and ascended into heaven, he shared some more words that pertain directly to all of us here because he, was, he prayed not only for his disciples, but also for his disciples today. It's as if we're at the Seder with him. So it's like when 
um, when Jewish people are reading this saying, I was rescued out of Egypt. I myself was taken out of Egypt, taken out of slavery. We were there. We were at this table. Jesus prayed for us, and this blessing is upon us. Here in uh, John 17, he says, I do not ask for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Elsewhere in John, in John 14, he says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so they would have gone at that point. And we're going to send out the Seder by flipping the page to page 40. This is Nirza, the conclusion. The Seder is complete. Just as we ate and drank together in the memory of our Messiah, may we soon eat and drink with him in the kingdom. Pure one who dwells in the heavens above, gather together your people and your love. Soon take your plantings and lead them along, ransomed to Zion with spiritual song. So at this point, it's my favorite part of the Seder. We're going to say this line together. We're going to say next year in Jerusalem. Okay, are we ready? So looking forward to the time when, when we are with Jesus at that table, we're going to say one, two, three, next year in Jerusalem. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you all for coming. This has been so, so meaningful. I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope you come closer to Jesus and really get a lot more uh, out of reading these passages. Um, if you do want boxes of matzah to take home to do a Seder in your home, we do have some extra. So just reach out to me and we'll, we'll get you set up. Um, and if you have any questions, uh, let me know. I'll be hanging out here for a little bit. So there's a uh, time where you can ask me questions. Thank you. God bless you and have a good evening. <laughs>